This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. This one, kind of touching on some stuff we've been touching on recently with the return of paper events, uh, Modern Horizons 2 what that's doing to formats and everything else. So we basically have two halves to this episode. There's the half of modern events don't fire or don't happen, which don't fire seems more likely because the format is hot. It's bad. Uh, what happens to prices then? And what happens to prices if these events take off? So without further ado, let's get started. You go first. So, uh, we, we had a brief discussion, and you decided that I got the positive side, which was great. And yep. uh, f for me, thinking about this, uh, it really comes down to two different halves to the same whole, and that is, as a player and a vendor, I think, or maybe player's wrong, but as a player, backpacker, and a vendor, I'm kind of going to expect the same things. And I kind of tiered modern cards on the whole. And I'm not talking about things that are modern playable that don't see a lot of play like worship in the sideboards. I'm talking about cross format staples, modern only staples, and fringe playables when I think about this. Because I'm not going to be the kind of player or backpacker that wants to stock up on the random sideboard cards for just in case seeds. So my expectation is the first thing that goes are cross format staples. So these are uh, fetch lands, Pillars of the formats like the Forces, Negation, and Vigor. Control options like Chalice of the Void, Engineered Explosives, Thought Seizes, etc. So these cards are propped up a bit by other formats, Legacy, Vintage, EDH. You see a ton of play in Modern and represent the majority of the themes within the given format. And uh, EDH, def EDH play definitely props up cards like Fetches, but they're not required in EDH, unlike Modern. So that's why I think they fall into cross-format staples and they rock it once modern comes back and as a vendor i want to go hard on these once i know modern's coming back at a large scale be it magic fests or star city or just mystery gp quote unquote, gp that's popping up in um new jersey i think in the fall or in the next two tcg cons after texas right once I know Magic's going to be supported at these larger events, not just the S, F, and M level, I'm going to like tune my buy, buy, buy list numbers, and I'm going to start targeting at events these cross-format staples. And I think that's going to allow people to maneuver within the format a lot better, and you're going to see a lot of the rest of the format pick up from there, but it all starts with those cross-format staples. I, I think the cross-format staples are the important thing, and that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on in my half is, you know, if, if events don't happen, then it doesn't necessarily mean that the, or sorry, if they don't fire or they aren't popular because the format is trash, it doesn't necessarily mean that these cards tank because there are those cross-format staples. Like, fetches are, they're not going to lose value. They're, they're fetches. Like, they're not going anywhere. Your chalices, you know, the stuff that you touched on there, those are all very much, like, financially viable, even if modern tapers out or it goes all online or... You know, because I, I think what's more likely is you'll see something like, all right, well, we're going to drop drop modern and go towards Pioneer or Historic. Mm -hmm. And that's more likely than, like, modern just not existing suddenly, that that's where the paper meta goes. Yep. But 
I think on some of the other cards, you know, your Tron pieces, stuff like that, obviously they tank. Yes. You know, it, it's not like it's not like we're in the world where wastes don't exist and Tron pieces need to fill out colorless decks. We have wastes. We have basics. We have these decks that exist in modern that don't exist in other formats, you know, like Hammer Time, for example. Yep. And now there are some cards in Hammer Time that are multi-format stars. Uh, there's plenty that see play in all of the Boros suit em up decks. They everything. That's, yeah. Yeah, that, that stuff exists elsewhere. But I think, you know, the dangerous thing is until it kind of shakes out, going deep on those kinds of cards that are more modern specific than anything else. And I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, while we're in this sort of unknown period, yep. and if these events start failing, these, you know, your fetch lands, your shocks, your, you know, force of vigors, force of negations, your tarmogoyfs, your dark confidants, like that's the stuff that you want to be going in on because not only does it retain value, it's incredibly liquid. Whereas like, I don't know, Path to Exile may not be the uncommon from modern that you want to be sitting on. Yep. You know, you may want Inquisition because that sees a ton of legacy play too. Yeah. So the cross-format staples being buoyed by other formats does lend them power, but the modern-only staples that you're mentioning, and I'll touch on on my side in a moment, are buoyed essentially by modern. If modern doesn't come back, do you expect the floor to just like collapse under these cards that don't see EDH play? Like you mentioned Tron pieces, and that's a little dicey because like Wormcoil and Karn Lib are EDHy, but then you have yeah. like Worldbreaker and like Matter Reshaper, the low-level. Eldrazi Tron pieces that don't see EDH play. Um, um, Mishra's Bauble is another good example of really a modern-only staple right now. Um, Prismatic Ending Primeval Titan as well, because you can't play primetime in EDH. Just Card's fine in the format. I, yeah, I, I think it's less that you see them bottom out, but you see that slow decline. Okay. I think is what happens there, because the, the one exception might be Bauble. Just because it was reprinted is, you know, a few times, it's an uncommon, there's a lot of them out there, that that, you know, that print run being what it is on that type of stuff, I would expect almost it to just drop immediately. Okay. So for the, the modern-only uh, staples, I said, but thinking about it, you know, we will most likely see float as the format comes roaring back, but as, they, uh, as these cards are quote-unquote required but not popular outside the format, right? So we're in that holding period right now where a lot of the cards that we mentioned, Tron Pieces wasn't something I, I thought of despite the fact that I literally played the deck, uh, but it, Bobble, Prismatic Ending, Primetime, um, Scapeshift, Valakut, stuff like this that are modern staples because these decks always pop up. They're not fringe, they're not, they don't run the format necessarily, but they don't exist elsewhere. These are the cards that, like you mentioned, they float for now and they don't see the most volatility, but they are going to be, in my mind, some of the first to pop once the format comes back. And yeah. as a backpacker or a vendor, this is the... It's the only other place I'd rather be besides staples, but at the same time, it also carries risk with it because Bobble, while played in other formats, has been reprinted, and a lot of people are giving it side-eye as possibly needing a banning. Okay, whatever. It doesn't take much for Watsi to push Primeval Titan decks out of the format. It just requires better answers to the question to the questions that those decks ask. 
and they continue to do that. So we can push that up. Same with Scape Shift, um, and you know the the, the taxes decks, etc. And so I wouldn't want to necessarily move in on that inherited risk because of the ability for it all to topple over in time anyway. But if I knew I had dedicated dedicated players coming back, I'm a big vendor. Again, I'm going to ratchet up my buy list on all this stuff, but I might not ratchet it up as high as I will the cross-format staples because I know if anything goes down, those will always stay up and I can out them over time and feel really good about it. You know, I'm probably going to not listen to my month-over-month -month sales for fetches when, when Modern comes back. In regards to setting my buy list, I'll probably crank it up because my expectation is that sales will increase. But when it comes to you know, these Modern-only staples, I'll probably look at historic numbers, maybe year-over-year year or look back two years, and buy according to those numbers. Despite the fact that the meta was different, there's still a de there is still a historic demand for them, and I'd probably curb my buy list to be similar to that. And that's what it, I would also do as a backpacker. Before I went out, I would start looking at all these modern-only decks and looking for the modern-only cards, start looking to see what quantities they existed, and then come up with a number I want to target, right? So if I'm going to move in on Is It Blitz, there's a million ways to build that deck. But I probably only need, let's say, uh, 8 to 12 Sprite Dragons for people. I probably only need four Royal Scions and Rael because those are differing builds, similar but different. People don't always play the same thing. Storming entities, I could probably go up to 12, but I wouldn't want to go past that. If I had the opportunity to just load up on shocks, I'd probably go 16 to 20 of each playable. Yeah. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to ever want to buy into Godless Shrine when it comes to modern, but that's the difference. I'd, yeah. I'd kind of be okay loading up on them because people play bad decks in EDH. <laughs> so for me those are the modern only staples so they wouldn't be the first to rise but i would think they would be some of the first to fall if everything yeah. came out and then to me the last category i have is fringe playable and this kind of represents the rest of the format these are the decks that are playable in modern but don't always win things like um it starts out tribal but merfolk and goblins um, I mentioned the taxes deck earlier you can play black white you can play mono white taxes uh infect is kind of fringe right now yeah. And these are the kind of decks, tribes, themes that do see play in EDH, but any downward trend um, in popularity will halt gain on these cards. But they're also subject to that, well, it just won something, so let me buy in. And that makes prices really swingy, and very, their graphs can be very sawtooth. Every time they rise because a, it did well, you could expect it to fall similarly after people buy it and realize that they can't win with it just because that person won a Grand Prix with um, Blue White Fish a couple of years ago doesn't mean it was actually a good deck. People bought Wonderwine Hub thinking it was required for the deck, but they didn't understand that that was tech against Choke because it's not an island and untaps underneath the card and there were alternatives to that card. Like, so people unnecessarily moved in. As a vendor, these are my lowest prio cards, and here is where I would just let natural demand kind of take its course. I wouldn't change my yeah. buy list for anything. Even if something were to spike, I'm not reactionary as a vendor until there's demand for it. And even then, if there's no demand and I'm, and I'm not sitting on stock, then I would expect my magic specialist to kind of know to tweak my numbers a bit to get some copies on the buy list and bring them in and make them available for, for people. Otherwise, my expectation is just standard EDH demand, both on the buy and sell for these. I, I, I had a hard time kind of thinking what the 
revert what the like naysayers point on these would be because i imagine it's very similar if the bottom falls out yeah. of modern the bottom these these cards are not the thing you ever really like i personally have the opinion that you want as complete an inventory as possible yep these are the kind of cards that you just pick up in bulk and you pick through and that's how you stock your inventory on it that's not the kind of thing that you want to you know actively go through and seek out especially at a booth and put on your buy list because like what's that do for you at a booth yep. nothing but you, then you have to haul it back if it's bulk you know like it's it's just not worth it and i think that you know like you said it's the kind of thing where if the bottom falls out of modern for some reason these these cards are bulk yep. they're barely above bulk now they're not going to be less bulk at that point they'll just be pure bulk yeah and I think that that's, you know, one of the important things when you talk about waiting for demands to hit uh, on these cards is that especially when, a, you know, the game is in flux the way it is, this is the point where, you know, that phrase we hark on all the time, chase your margins, becomes more important. Mm -hmm. uh, because especially, you know, avoid wanting to do anything but chase your margins and avoid the sunk cost fallacy. Because naysayers side, look, if this format starts to taper off and cards start to you know tank get rid of them you know turn turn them into money even if it's less than you paid it's just like if you were sitting on a judge foil elish norm and you had like five of them and then the secret layer drops and you're like well guess i'm just gonna get rid of these now like it's better to allocate that into something that will generate money sooner yeah so if modern starts to taper off and you do have your godless shrines that you're sitting on 16 to 20 me i would sell those and reposition into fetches or something that has some sort of like perpetuity to it where I can always flip this into more money because that will make me money faster yep. than waiting for God the Shrines to be worth money again. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a good way to look at it. And I think that's really, as a backpacker, the way I would look at it as well. I would never go chasing any of these cards. Do I care right now that the JSS and Judge Promo and like some other versions of Lord of Atlantis are popping right now? No, because they've been bulk forever, and I'm not going to chase them down for the two people on this planet that want to play fish and don't already own those cards. Similarly, exactly. what has Goblin Pile Driver done for me lately? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, oh, it was so good. I, it's Look, I harp on it, it's still a good Goblin in Legacy, but it, that's the it same is. thing. It was reprinted in Origins that helped tank the price. Everybody restocked. There's no reason to chase that card if Goblins comes back. And you have stock, just let demand carry through, unless you can find them at or in bulk. It's not something I would ever focus on. No. In, in any way, shape, or form. So it's hard to, if Modern comes back, say, like, yeah, I want to dedicate inventory space to this in my back catalog for when I go out, because I'm going to put them in my binder and trade them away. Like, no, I'll go pull out the ones I cracked when I was winning Origins packs left, right, and center and show you that nobody wanted them then and nobody wanted them now. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to be, you know, the key thing is paying attention to that and not getting ahead of yourself, not thinking you're the smartest man in the room. That's how you get into trouble. Yeah, and, absolutely. And this, this is a, a good conversation to have, right, because we were just looking at the schedule of events for Galveston coming at PCGCon Galveston, and every magic there is being run by Toa, which is awesome. My expectation is that we might get a little bit of standard here and there because construct yeah. uh, construct is easy to handle from a TO perspective. Um, you don't need to dedicate a lot of overhead to it. And the companion app 
uh, on both sides as a judge and a player. Uh, fairly useful as long as you can get Wi-Fi in the room, but that's a problem with Watsi, not uh, anybody else. And then uh, Commander Pods as well. You just do Star yeah. City style where you all just play and... Here's packs or whatever, distribute yeah, them amongst yourselves. Yeah, everybody gets a ticket and you decide at the table how you, how you want to handle the tickets, which basically just means winner take all. Put them on the Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where right now that's the expectation. We have SeaTac and we have Ohio coming up. We start seeing these dedicated events and then I would get excited about modern and then I would begin actually breaking down my needs as a vendor and as a backpacker and this conversation is extremely important because if you start doing it too early and you start moving in you might get hoisted by rising prices because of moto results right now and if we don't see modern pop up at these events then buying in on the rise is not going to have been the best option because things will fall in time as there are only two more events scheduled between now and the now and the end of the year no more questions TCG yeah. Con only has uh, Ohio and SeaTac left for the year. Yep. Uh, and we have, you know, obviously there's some that may pop up, but as of right now, that's pretty much what we're looking at. And the, the issue is, you know, it's probably all we're going to get because you're not going to book these convention centers this close to the time. No. Yeah. The, so. Yeah. Um, we. We mentioned a couple of times the mystery GP coming up in New Jersey, whether or not it fires, you know, TBD. Um, I'd, yeah. I'd love if anybody that listens to this cast that lives in the greater New Jersey area was interested enough to try and figure out either who's running it or uh, what the shit show what is going to look like when it goes down. That would be great. Um, the entire Twitter yeah. sphere is on it right now. So anybody who has any information, just, you know, please make it available. And then we also know that enough people have been chasing uh, Star City Games about their events that they have started saying, just say, uh, using the the Blizzard trademarked phrase, soon. Soon. Um, <laughs> and my expectation, yeah, would be 20, 2022 for an announcement from them. I wouldn't expect anything uh, this year yeah. in regards to bringing back the tour or events on the whole. And yeah. it's going to be a very important time for people to start paying attention and begin moving in on if Modern does come back for Star City over Pioneer, which was their kind of uh, flagship uh, non-rotating format yeah. before they went out. You know, make your moves, pick which bucket you want to move in on and in what percentages, and then set your margins and your expectations. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm a little bit more soon on the announcement. I expect we hear an announcement this year, but no events until next. That's fair. Uh, and I, I think that's just because they want to like, they want to be the first out of the gate to say we're bringing the series back. Because if they, you know, I, I think they're positioned uniquely that they have their own tour and they can kind of say, hey, professional players, we see you and we'll try to compensate yep. you with Wizards well. But I get that. so different episode. Yeah, as. As we move forward and we don't know what's going to be happening at the rest of events this year in 2022, on your side of the fence, if you're going to throw money at the modern format, where would you put it as the naysayer? At fetches. Fetches, 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 fetches. I, you know what, Skip Tarmogoyf made me do, Bob, but fetches. I, it's they, they are so liquid. They are so stable 
they're just like ev everything you want in a card that's in this format. It's something that you can trade out easy. People always want them. People are happy to get extras. It's something that you can hoover up a bunch of because people have them and they know they have value. So yep. they're always in binders. Uh, and there's something that you can turn into cash pretty easily because most buy lists are like Card Kingdom and everything are pretty aggressive on those a lot of times because they know how the demand is. They know, all right, we want to get this card sold because this card is like, this is money. And I think that, you know, when you touched on the staples for the Yaysayers side, I think it's the same. It's probably even more true for the Naysayers. You know, we want these multi-format staples that exist in modern, your chalices, fetches, Stoneforge Mystics, stuff like that. Yep. And I think that that's, you know, again, kind of the overarching theme of the past few months of episodes is you want this, like, multifaceted stock Yep. You don't necessarily want just one format. And if you want one thing and you want to go like all foils, you still want multiple formats. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, uh, on my side of the fence, I would actually like to treat this as an aggressive investment, and I would split between multi-format staples and modern staples, uh, okay. erring more towards modern staples, because I believe your ROI on that could be a lot greater than Fair. just fetches. Fetches already have their prices, their premiums, etc. We're still in the the zone for the Zendikar fetches are figuring out what version of the Modern Horizons 2 versions are best. Uh, it's not quite clear. It seems like prices are absurdly low across the board, but which one recovers the best or the fastest, whichever you would like, right now is kind of up in the air. So while I do agree uh, with that, I would still, I would look at fetches, um, I would look at shocks, and some of the other multi-format staples, like I mentioned earlier, EE and Thoughtseize maybe, and then... I like those um, too, yeah. SFM, Stoneforge, because obviously, but the other thing is that soaks up a lot of capital, right? So that's why I'm looking at modern staples as well, because I want to try and make a decent percentage on this, and I think that stock has the highest opportunity to rise on the whole. So that's where I would look at Primeval Titan. I would look at some of the ubiquitous Tron pieces that haven't been reprinted in a while. I would probably look at some of the creatures in Burn and Humans and just try and pick uh, a large swath across format and not some of the most meta decks right now because they're cir they're circled around cards like Urza Saga and Ragavan that might actually just be yoinked out of the format so I'm, I'd be remiss to say I would look at Wurza decks and I would look at Jeskai Stoneblade for low, uh, low hanging fruit yeah. I would probably go a step underneath that underneath S tier and look at A and see what isn't what strategy exists without Urza Saga and Raghavan? What can survive? And start picking from uh, from that. So that's probably going to be things like the Fastlands from Kaladesh. I know Spire Bluff Canal is already like twenty some dollars. Yeah. Um, and it's not concealed courtyard, but like the red white one that goes in Burn, I'd probably take a look at. I might look at Botanical Sanctum, the green blue one, to see what that goes in. And yeah. then, you know, just spend a, a couple days and a bunch of hours looking across the format and seeing where I think there's a lot of room to grow and maneuver once modern comes back. And that's where I would put the majority of my money. I think that's going to be a quick turnaround, and I think that has the, the greatest opportunity to rise in the short term. Uh, other than that, I think the cross-format staples is the safest investment overall if you're going to look at it that way because your your, your ROI is proven on that stuff. Yeah. It's, and it's a so it's even standard reprint proof. 
This is the third time they printed the shocks twice in the New World, not the New World Order, in the Return to Rav era printing, which means you get infinite. You know, the only thing that's going to affect the Zendikar fetches is going to be a standard era printing. Which we've seen, they'll still recover the way Flooded Strands and Deltas have, that they're not going to be $10 forever. So Exactly. It just makes your holding a little weak uh, for the short term after printing, but they recover nicely in the long term. And so that, that that's where I would look. I think, like I said earlier, fringe unplayables is what you want to be digging out of your own bulk. You don't yeah. want to go looking for it anywhere else. And I think it's it's kind of important, you know, when I talk about trying to avoid cards like that uh, as a naysayer, unless it's something you want to spec on if the bottom falls out. Should have been a caveat I've said there. Right. Because, for example, Concealed Courtyard. If Modern falls out and all of a sudden no one's on the black-white taxes list and Concealed Courtyard is a $3 land, man, it's a fast land for $3. Yeah. If you're going to spec on it, spec on sure. it, you know. Yeah. But it's not something that you necessarily want to chase at a buy list number to have active stock of to cycle through because that's not what that card is at that point. No, I, I agree. Ready for picks? Let's do it. I went first last week. It's you. Yep. So uh, I'm picking a card I've been watching for a while and a card that uh, has a soft spot in my heart, despite the fact that I never played it in standard, and it is Phyrexian Metamorph. Uh, Classic. Hold on. Better. Um, so Metamorph is an interesting card overall, not just because of what it does and the fact that it uh, takes Phyrexian Mod to cast, but it's a utility creature that spans the gap from combo to ramp in EDH, so it basically just sits in this brilliant spot in the format. It's not quite Clone Legion, but it only costs three, which makes it incredibly useful. So let me bring up Wreck. Uh, this is, Wreck is really funny for this. So uh, it's currently obfuscated by Sakashima of a thousand faces and you know what, the, what it pairs with and uh, in the lists that it's in, Metamorph represents an interesting intersection of casual and competitive EDH whereby it serves the same purpose in both versions of the format, a redundant utility piece, right? Because it allows you to copy an artifact or a creature. So in some decks, it will clone something innocuous as a ramp permit, and another list will be part of a combo engine. And so that's why it kind of spans the gamut. And I'll bring up, which I did before because I missed this note. Uh, there's a combo page dedica dedicated to it on EDHREC, and, and you can kind of see where, where this falls, right? You've got Bitter Ordeal and Shroom, which is, you'll see Shroom a couple of times in this. Um, Dramatic Reversal, Isochron, Scepter, Alter the Brood, Felidar, Guardian, Regis, Flicker in a bunch, you know, another Shroom, and Zulaport, Cutthroat, right? Blood, Blood Artist. And so it just kind of represents, like I said, the, this combo piece in the format, or this ramp piece. So this serves a wide base and offers great utility, and clone effects like this are only limited by the desire of the deck builder, and in time, as we receive more slash better commanders and utility creatures to clone that play into the instant wins, the more I would expect to see this rise in time, just because it is so easy and so efficient to play. Uh, the timeline on this is a little interesting because it took so long to rise. We kind of missed the initial uh, the dip that I was hoping to, to see, so I'll bring back up. Uh, a little more. Right, so we're buying on the other side of the Uma dip, which is not the best option, but tracking the price of this card for the better part of half a year, I was uncertain if it would ever actually recover, so we're catching it now. With interest in Commander Legends putting pressure on this card, Sakashima and some of the other generals that came with it, we had to wait for demand to pull enough quantity from the market and vendors to put uh, to put 
pressure on both to restock. So now that we're in another plateau after this initial bump and Bialis is still rising to meet demand, my expectation is that we'll be able to get out to, to Bialis profit in the next six months. Uh, but there are di additional factors in play. So Metamorph has been playable at a number of high, highly performant modern decks. And if support of the LGS and larger scale event levels starts again, and the Metamorph heads back into stable territory, we could see this rocket up at any point. So prior to the birthing pod ban, this was part of the Kiki-Jiki combo chain. You play this as a redundant birthing pod or a redundant piece of the combo because it could copy either. And with the way Modern Horizons 2 hit and like the artifact sub-themes that have kind of come out of it, there's the opportunity that this could be another copy of the Ozolith, which is just ridiculous, something like that. Um, and if that does happen, uh, I would set on this card for about 18 months, giving Bialis time to adjust as supply drives up as well as a large amount of exposure to any type of modern pushes. And then that'll allow us to get out to either Bialist or trade binder, uh, in trade, which you know, falls in line with what we were talking about this episode, right? This is, right now, a fringe modern card. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in this if I was looking at this from a modern perspective, but as an EDH card, I absolutely love something like this, and the fact that it could get a modern bump in time is very appealing because of the opportunity this card has and what it does. It costs three, don't fool yourself. And you can clone any creature or artifact you have on board. So it just provides the same utility in Constructors as it does in Commander, and opens up some nutty, nutty things. For reference, right now, CKA is buying 53 at $3.20. Back in January, when I put this on my list, they were buying 25 at 275 So while the Bialis del uh, Delta by percentage is pretty small, the quantity is almost doubled. TCG player, similarly, the Delta, uh, but in reverse. The Delta in quantity available, not, not that great. There was 180, now there's 175. But it had a market price of two seventy one back in in January. Now it's five dollars and thirty three cents. So that doubled. So obviously there's the, there's factors at play here. There's demand here. Supply is um, on TCG players seemingly never ending. But I think this is another one of those. Oh, it's rising. It's on socks. Let me just put my copies out there. And eventually, as those go, that's when we'll truly see demand take over, and then the, the buy lists pop up. That's why I think we're looking at what did I say like six months here at a minimum. Yeah because I think that's how long it's going to take for, like I said, that demand to really pull enough quantity from marketplaces to drive uh, pricing. I think it's really solid. It's one of my favorite commanders because, or sorry, clones because of the versatility. Uh, I've always thought it was one of the best cards to have in your trade binder because being in that five to $10 range, it's really good at evening stuff out. It's really good to put in your case because someone has an extra five to 10 bucks in credit and they just spend it on a metamorph. Uh, I think that this, you know, should be a ten to fifteen dollar clone because of the versatility. Because you know, you touched on it. See, he's playing combo decks. It's not just, you know, a creature that you run in your thief theme deck in EDH or something. This can actually see constructed play in formats that matter for like, you know, tournament money. Yep. But uh, no, I. I think it's solid. I, I do want to make a correction. So I mentioned Clone Legion. That's not the card I was thinking of. It's Clever Impersonator, which is yeah. two and double blue. And I want to check. If that came out in cons block, I can explain something very quickly. It did. Okay, yeah, so that came out in cons. So Birthing Pod had not been banned yet. People were not playing Clever Impersonator because it costs four. People yep. played Phyrexian Metamorph because it costs three. Right. That's why that's why it got played in Vintage and still sees play. It costs three at the end of the day for a clone. It's the cheapest clone, I believe, after Spark Double. But Spark Double is 
not artifacts, which is really what you're doing with these cards when you're playing it in a constructed format. You're copying an artifact. Yeah, yeah creature or planeswalker for Spark Devil, which also costs four. Yep. Rexy Metal, yeah, cheapest club. Yeah, and probably top two. Probably just the best one. You could Besides argue, Doppelganger. Vesuvian's pretty good. I was actually going to say, you could argue Doppelganger's the best because it uh, changes every turn, or it can change yeah. every turn. And then there's Progenitor Mimic, which just, keep, which just keeps shitting out oh, copies of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I love that card. Uh, I love Progenitor yeah, so much. Uh, I'm just checking. All what's right. the CMC and Doppelganger? Doppelganger costs five. Oh, gross. Still a good card. Yeah, it's absolutely But great. two more. Uh, all right, my pick. And this is somewhat out of character for me. We're going with an EDH card. Although somewhat in character with me, it is indicative of a larger market trend that we're seeing. So, my pick is Tiny Bones Trinket Thief. All right, Jumpstart Rares are tumbling. That's that's just facts. Our Jumpstart Rares that were worth a bunch of money, suddenly a lot of them are starting to be worth less money. Uh, prime example, Tiny Bones. So, our all-time high was July or March 21st this year of $90. Yesterday was the all-time low. And our low as of yesterday slash today was $18. This is a card that in March was $50 to $60. Uh, it also runs on a theme of discard, which if you take a look at EDH rec, we got Gwendolyn, we got Tegrid, we got Kroxa, we got Rankle. This is the type of effect that Wizards prints one way or another Lately, it seems like on a legendary card, almost every block, set, whatever. whatever. It's something that synergizes a lot with that theme. It's also something that has a payoff and win condition in its six-mana activated ability. Now, is this a card that necessarily sees, is going to see as much CEDH play as people thought it was? I honestly don't think so. I don't think it's that good in the format, but I think it's cute and it's very gimmicky which are things that casual EDH players love. So as long as that is the case, I think that what we're going to see is this card's probably going to bottom out around $10. And that's probably due to, you know, the print run of Jumpstart not being great. We're not getting more of them, and that's fine. You know, that's just not going to be something we ever get. That said, this is one of those cards that feels a card away from being busted. It kills the game on its own, it generates card advantage, it costs two mana, like it does all of the good things that you want from an efficient threat yep. and an efficient commander. Additionally, the interesting thing that we're seeing is, so when I first looked at this card last week, uh, well, first looked about six months ago and I've been tracking inventory since, we've seen an increase in supply on TCG player, which corresponds to a drop in price. That's natural, that's how it's yeah. supposed to work. The thing is, what you're seeing is the decrease is not like a couple of cents a copy. We're going a quarter, we're going a dollar until you get to the bottom price now, where there's a few that are less than $17.50, and then all of a sudden it shoots up to $20. So there's not a whole lot of barrier between this card being, you know, 10 or 30 at this point. Yeah. So this is the type of thing that right now I'm not going to buy it off the open market. I'm going to try to trade for it aggressively. I'm going to try to swing for, you know, $12, $13 if I can, if I need to pony up cash for it. I'd like to be closer to 10 As far as the turnaround goes on something like this, 
I think what we'll see, because this is a rogue, which is relevant for D&D, uh, I think we'll see, if not within the next two to three months, by the end of the year when we get, we get Twilight 2 Electric Boogaloo, there's going to be something in that set that has to do with discard, because that's a running theme in all of the Twilight sets, is that Graveyard Matters, Discard Matters, Reanimate Matters, Card Advantage Matters. So I'd expect something synergistic sometime within the next six to eight months. At that point, I think this card is going to explode. If not then, I don't see how they necessarily reprint this card, and I don't think, based on the effect, it's ever worth less than $10. It seems like the kind of thing that just kind of gets forgotten about at $10, and then one day you wake up and it's like 20 to 25 That said, this one is a little bit riskier. It's not on any buy list right now. It's not on Star City. It's not on Card Kingdom. It's not on Abu. It's not on any of that. So I am comfortable picking this card. I think long-term this card is great because the Jumpstart cards don't seem to be something we're going to get revisited anytime soon, unless, of course, it's in a secret lair. But I think sometime within the next six to eight months, you can profitably not necessarily buy list this card, but certainly trade it out at a positive value if you can get it for about 10 to 13 in trade value. It's weird. The The Punisher cards that they've released since Jumpstart, it's, to me, it's never felt like they were one card away. It always felt like they were a social contract away yeah. from from, yeah. from taking off in EDH because you have to want to be the Mana Barbs general player. You have to want to be the discard player general. And this is one of those decks like Sliver Combo where you sit down with your table, everybody knows what's up when you turn your general face up and you get one game with that general in that night. Uh, but it is definitely something you could run at a larger event if you went to a command zone, etc. because you know you just have unsuspecting victims all day long, right? I, I'm always remiss to get behind buyouts or buy-ins when it comes to Punisher cards like this that just promote a punishing gameplay style, despite the fact that I own a Zozu deck. <laughs> but at least in Zozu, I can play like eight Howling Mines or something like that. I just speed yeah. up the game. I just make it painful for you to play land. A different story. You still get to play Magic. Um, this one you don't. Yeah, the Monobarbs General, similarly, you still get to play Magic. This card, you don't. I think the overall uh, message here of keeping an eye on the Jumpstart Generals and the, the Jumpstart cards in general, to me, is what rings truest and what rings through the strongest. Because I was taking a look while you were talking, and like you said, everything is down. The most expensive card in the set is still Allosaurus Rider, followed by Crater of Behemoth, and then at number five it's Tiny Bones, and after that it's Bruvac, then Oracle yeah. of Moldiah, right? So Tiny Bones and Bruvac fell out of the top five, and I didn't think that would happen. And I believe when we talked about something related to, to uh, the mill deck, I mentioned once Bruvac hit a specific number, that's when I would buy in. And we've either dropped below that because it was close to 30, or we're getting there because I said it was 20. And yeah. I think the messaging here around Tiny Bones and this general, what it does, how it impacts the game is important, but also important is to keep an eye on these Jumpstart-only cards. Because, like you said, we don't know if... We, pro we know we're probably not going to get any more Jumpstart unless Watsi just yeah. finds some way to squeeze more blood from the stone that that is the printers. Or we get them in some other supplemental product. 
you know, it could be another conspiracy or something else where they just want to throw some hooey at us. Yeah. And at that point, it's still not a great print run, but it renews demand in a lot of this stuff, and that's what I would expect to to see if I was going to buy in a lot to to really kind of pick up on it because it's that renewed demand that you're looking for. A lot of the Punisher generals and a lot of those cards burn really brightly. They really do. You know, like Necrogen Mist and stuff like that. You go back a couple of months great. and you just look at those cards and see how how brightly they burned. And if you were able to churn stuff in that in that time period, it was great. But the long haul on that stuff is always kind of a downturn and a downswing. And it really take it could just take renewed demand for people to want to move in or realize that you don't have to be all in on tiny bones on that plan. Yeah. You could, I think branching evolution is one that I harped on for multiple casts and it's down to $10 now. You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in this set. Uh, you know, even, even at the common and uncommon level where you have cards like exhume and like blardist sitting there at, you know, three four dollars that could very easily be worth more than that yeah and i i think that's you know another opportunity you have there and this is you know the past few episodes have all been me picking market trends you know i mean harold's horn is six dollars the card was twenty dollars you know it's it's wild to see what has happened to the set and it's i think it is one of those side effects you're seeing because we get so many releases now that your hot spot for a new set is significantly shorter than it used to be yeah um, the last thing I'll say about Tiny Bones and the Punisher Generals that came out is I think people were too narrow-minded when it came to them as well. The Tiny Bones Ultimate, if you want to look at that at it that way, does require each opponent to be, or anybody to be... No cards. Empty-handed. They have to be hellbent before they take yeah. two. You don't have to nibble all game. You could just combo out. There, there are ways to do that. And that's, you know, like Tefri's Puzzle Box or whatever, right? Yeah, you can you can just combo out, and I think Tiny Bones is the kind of general that people expected you to just nibble away at them. And CDH is different because you've got mind twist, and you can just you know blap somebody for their hand. But if we did get content, or we did get renewed demand in this, and the focus shifted from nibbling away at the table and making it so people couldn't play Magic all game long to being Bring more, yeah, to be more of a combo deck and just in one turn blap the table. You know, let them play Magic all game long and then just go. Yeah. I think you'd also see renewed demand in the card and a bump there for, for Tiny Bun. So that's just the, the last couple of things I wanted to say about that card. Otherwise, for, for me, these picks are always going to be kind of middling. It's not bad. It's just not something I would invest in because I don't like it. But at the same time, as I mentioned, and I'll, I'll beat this horse all day long, you got paying attention to the Jumpstart stuff is super important because there's opportunity yeah. there across the board. It's not just Tiny Bones and Brewback, Allosaurus, Shepherd. It's everything else in Jumpstart that's popular. Yep. And as, especially the cards that are one-off from that set, your branching evolution, stuff like that. But even even Linvala is down to like $12 now. It's mm-hmm. a $20 effect. Yeah. Sure. That Why not? $12 is buy list. Pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's it for me this week. you have anything else? Nope. All good. Awesome. Then we'll see everybody next week for MTG Cabalcast, which can be found on Twitter, Patreon, and Facebook. We are at Halt Iron Reptile if you want to reach me. At Thirsty Sizzler. The podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And we will see you next week. See you guys.